Now, our text today is Philippians 1, verse 6, and I think this is a tremendous uh, answer to the whole question, where the Apostle Paul shows his great confidence. And he says, "...being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." And you can see that all the elements of our security, our salvation, our final perseverance is built in right in that one text. You have the confidence of the apostle. He is very sure and he's very specific that it's God who begun the work. And as God began the work, he has the responsibility and takes the responsibility to finish the work. Thank you for joining with us on Let the Bible Speak, and we come again to our ministry on the gospel, looking at this final aspect, perseverance of the saints. If the Lord is in it, he will finish it. That's the bottom line. And if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then you will persevere. Sometimes we confuse this between uh, preservation and perseverance. Not a whole lot of difference in some ways, because the Bible does use the word kept by the power of God. The text I want to share with you here is Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So this is a very vital text and a great a confidence we have. Uh, and the Apostle Paul had that confidence. And I want you to have this confidence that the Lord who has begun a work of grace in your heart, who has given you faith in the Lord Jesus, the ability to repent of the world, and now that you're striving on in faith, that the Lord will keep you. He is the good shepherd that keepeth his sheep. But we need to pray about this, that the Lord might just lead us into the enjoyment of this doctrine and this gospel truth. Let's unite in prayer. Father, we thank thee for the, the shepherding work that you do of our hearts. And we live in a fallen world, and we ourselves are fallen, prone to temptations and to doubts and fears. We thank thee that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. We ask that today that the ministry of thy word will be a, a very clear light to each one tuning in to the message, and that this gospel will be the very foundation upon we stand, and we declare our confidence that the Lord is not only the Savior of an hour or a day, but for all eternity, and that you give unto your sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. We do thank thee for these wonderful statements in your word. Give us the faith to receive them, and give us wisdom to comprehend them. We ask it and plead and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see on the front here, that tulips give way to poinsettias today. 
We come to the very final message on this series on TULIP, and uh, we come to the final perseverance of the saints. The real issue is either saved today, lost tomorrow, or once saved, always saved. Those are the two sides of the question. And I'm happy to report that the Bible teaches us that if you are in Christ, you can never fall out of him. If you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then you cannot lose your own salvation. Now, we are on this earth a very, very short little while, and surely one of the, the greatest of comforts and of assurances is to know that I am not just saved for a little time, but for eternity, that I am absolutely assured in my soul that I am saved today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. Otherwise, what a, a great deal of fear we might live with. What a great deal of questioning we might deal with. And we might even get back to that position is, am I saved enough? Am I just saved a bit? Or am I saved totally, finally, and forever? Now, our text today is Philippians 1, verse 6. And I think this is a tremendous uh, answer to the whole question, where the Apostle Paul shows his great confidence. And he says, "...being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." And you can see that all the elements of our security, our salvation, our final perseverance— is built in right in that one text. You have the confidence of the apostle. He is very sure, and he's very specific, that it's God who begun the work. And as God began the work, he has the responsibility and takes the responsibility to finish the work. When Mr. Roosman and I were down in Indianapolis for the fall week of prayer, uh, the minister there, the Reverend uh, Jeff Bannister, was preaching, and he told us the story about how he used to work in a print shop. And he was up on the top floor at his work, and there was a bit of a debate going on down on the bottom floor, and the work, workers were debating back and forth this question about salvation. So, they knew that Jeff had uh, been a church planter, and he had been to Bible school, so they all went up to him to find out his take on this question. And his answer simply was, well, that depends whether it's my responsibility or God's responsibility. If it's my responsibility, I'm a hopeless case, because I'll never make it to heaven. But if it's God's responsibility, well, we can be absolutely sure, as Paul says, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, upon examination, the word perform means to execute, means to carry out. And what God begins, well, we know for sure that he does complete. Now, theologically, this might be a very simple question, 
But pastorally, it can be very difficult because we know people who make professions and they don't seem to follow through. We know people who may be very bright for the Lord for a period and then they lose. Well, they just have what we call a fall, whether it's a moral lapse or just a, a faith lapse or a tough patch in their life where they just give up and uh, this is the real world in which we live in. And sometimes when you're a theological student in the classroom of seminary, you can have all your T's stroked and all your, uh, uh, all your I's dotted, and you can be very sure this doctrine is wonderful. And then when you're in the pastoral ministry and someone comes to you and asks you, am I saved or am I not? I'm struggling with assurance. I'm not even sure if the prayer I made was the right prayer. How do I know that I'm really saved? And in, in the heart issues of the Christian life, this becomes a very, very important doctrine. Now, a couple of illustrations might help. The Christian life is a bit like the, the graph of the stock market. And you can know from years go by, you can see that, that little line zigzagging up, and it's trending over the years compared to whether it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But along the way, there are these downticks and you can pinpoint 2008. That was a massive downturn. And then it picks up again. And uh, then it reaches a new high, and then another new high. Uh, that's like the Christian life. There are times when we stumble. There are times when we're in clouds, uh, confusion, not sure of ourselves anymore. There are times when even we behave in ways that are not consistent with a, a really good, clear Christian testimony. And in those times, um, you wonder what's wrong. And then, as the Bible says, that when I fall, I shall rise again. And that's the mark of the, new, of the true convert, the one that's really saved. He may have a fall, but he will not fall away. Now, another illustration is of someone on board a ship on deck in the midst of a storm. And that weave might come up over the vessel and wash him off his feet, but it doesn't wash him overboard. And there are times in the Christian life that you feel like the world or temptation or some opposition has just swept you off your feet, but you're still on board. You're still convinced that Christ is your Savior. You're convinced that the gospel is right and it has power. You just got into a sticky patch and you got swept off your feet for a time. But you rise again and you get on with the Christian life. And that's the grace of God. Now, that's God preserving. God preserves, we persevere. And it is the keeping, preserving power of the Lord operating in us that enables us to persevere, even in those times when we do get washed of our feet. So, my question today then is, how can this be? And how can we be so sure? Well, firstly, through the application of these four or five doctrines of grace. Total depravity 
lets me know that I would never have called on the Lord to save me. Total depravity because of the lust and the depths and the corruption of sin in my heart. If God had left me to my own devices, I would never have started out on the Christian life. That was a miracle. That was an operation of God's grace. And it was the electing, choosing purpose of God that brought me into the knowledge of Christ. And if God does the choosing, then he also does the sending of his Spirit to irresistibly draw us to faith in the Lord Jesus. And if God does all of that, whenever I was a dead sinner with no interest, no desire, no thought of God, but he, by a miracle of regeneration, gave me new life, a new heart, new desire, wrote my name in the book of life, shall he not complete that work which he began? And, of course, there is the saving power of the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus. You remember the question I kept asking? Did the Lord redeem or did he not? Did his blood satisfy the, the demands of justice or did it not? If you're answering yes, Jesus made a payment to the justice of God for his people, then those people, their sins are paid for. So it is not possible for the redeeming blood of Jesus to wash away your sins and then for you to end up in a lost eternity. A couple of texts really clinch that. John 6, 39, this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I love those words. Those have to be just great words, that I should lose nothing. Now, the nothing there really is no one, no person for whom Christ died is going to be lost. And you can take it right from the Bible. As I preached last night uh, when I talked about Mary's faith, unless you can take your finger and put it right on the text of the Bible and say, that applies to me, I can stand on that. Well, unless you can do that, you don't have dependence, faith, trust in what the Lord promises. And so it comes, this assurance of eternal life comes on the very statements, the doctrines, the truths that the, the Lord has revealed in his word. Now, I notice in John 6.39 that the same statement is doubled again in verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, I can assure you that at that time, things will be out of my control. And I think in view here is the believer in the grave. And once the breath leaves my body, I have no control of anything. Once I turn to a corpse and my soul flights to glory and my body is laid in the grave, the Lord promises that he is going to do the raising up. And even though I'm dead, physically dead, my soul will be alive with God, 
But on that day of the resurrection, there will be a reunion of soul with the body, and we will be raised up with Christ. Now, I have no part in that. I have no control in it whatsoever. I'm living on the hope of the assurances of God's Word. That's it. I cannot control it. But if I have put my faith in the Lord to wash away my sins, if I have put my trust in the Lord to save me for heaven, all of this is included. And it's His responsibility. That's the assurance. That's the comfort. And so when you're struggling about assurance and wondering, will I finally be saved? Will I make it to heaven? Just remember, it's the Lord's responsibility, not ours. He has to do it because, in reality, all of those things are out of our control. Indeed, we would say everything's out of our control. The Lord has to do it if we're ever going to make it to heaven. Now, that brings me to the many promises that God has given us in His Word. And, of course, we could spend all day looking at promises, and maybe someone will give you a wonderful gift of a box of promises. You're one of those little card file boxes, and you take out the little tweezers, and you pick out the, the promise for the day. And there would, could be dozens and dozens of precious promises out of the Bible. But I just want us to think of one right now, and it's the promise of eternal life, eternal life. The Greek word for eternal and everlasting actually is the same. And so don't let any cult ever tell you that there's a difference between eternal and everlasting, say in John 3.16. Uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the promise of life. Now, what kind of life is it? It's certainly not temporary life. It's not life as a Christian for a short while. And everyone that ever comes to the Lord Jesus for salvation, they come for eternal life. And the Lord promises that He gives us that eternal life. Uh, John 10, 28, I, uh, my sheep, uh, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. And so you have the positive and the negative. It is eternal life, which means you will never be in hell, never lose your salvation. And that's the promise that God gives to believers who trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Think of the promise that God gave to the dying thief on the cross. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he didn't say, well, now, if you keep your eyes on me, and if you keep believing on me, and if you keep trusting in me to a certain degree of faith and belief and repentance and, and, and just don't go back on anything, uh, you will then probably make it to heaven. No, the gospel, the good news, is certain, and it is premised on the absolute certainty Think of Lazarus, the beggar outside the rich man's gate, and we're told that he, the angels carried him into Abram's bosom. Well, I'm just going to leave it up to the angels then, because I can't do it. I can't carry myself into 
into the, the, the presence of God and in through the gates of glory. I can't do it. I'm going to leave that to the angels. They are sent to reap, to gather, and to bring the people of God into heaven. And then John 17, 2, thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now, if I deny that the life that is given me is eternal, I'm denying the power, the authority that God gave to his Son. And you can see how all of these things concerning the eternal nature of this life ties into the wonder of the gospel. And the Lord Jesus freely spoke of that eternal life. I note also, as I read through the New Testament, that after Pentecost, the apostles in their preaching kept up this term, eternal life. They didn't question it. They didn't water it down. They didn't say, well, you know, it, it's life, but we're not so sure about the eternal part of it. And you, you can read them. I've got, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 texts where the apostles, Paul, Peter, John, John's big on it. He's got about six texts in his first epistle, all referring to, you know, this eternal life. And they keep up the doctrine that if you are saved— you have eternal life. That's the nature of the life that the Lord Jesus purchased on the cross. And then you have that word in Jude, where it says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ unto eternal life, eternal life. Now, I just say, if words mean anything, this is not temporary. This is not saved today, lost tomorrow. This is once saved, always saved, because of the very nature of eternal life. And I say again, never let any cult uh, talk you into confusion by saying, well, it's Jesus said everlasting life, not eternal life. The actual Greek word behind the everlasting is the same, ionios, exact same. Why the authorized translators m made that distinction Maybe they were just interested in a, a synonym, a similar word without being repetitious. I don't know. But the Greek word behind everlasting is ionios, the same word for eternal. And heaven for the Christian is as long as eternal damnation is for the wicked. It is without end.
Listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church, and today we've been looking at the doctrine of the final perseverance of the saints. Uh, that simply means that those whom the Lord saves, He will save completely and will bring them straight through to heaven. Nothing will hinder that mighty purpose of God to save His people from their sins, hell, and a lost eternity. Now, there are so many things beyond the control of the individual. Uh, We have no control of tomorrow. We have no control of our health, our state of mind, nor have we control of our condition at the point of death or what happens when the body is laid in the earth. We have no control. We are dependent upon the Lord to send his angels to take our spirit home. We are dependent on the Lord to come and raise our body again from the grave on the resurrection day. And that as his promise is that when we are meeting the Lord in the air, uh, that our bodies shall be reunited with our spirits. Those things are just staggering. They are beyond our control completely. And so, In all of these areas, we have to put our complete trust in the Lord Jesus. He has, of course, promised that he will raise us up on the last day. He has promised that he gives unto his sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. And we have this hope that the work of God cannot fail. He is infinitely powerful and able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so this is all about trust, placing the welfare of your soul into the care of your Savior. And for today, tomorrow, for the day of your death, and for eternity, you are trusting in the Savior. And that's what we do. We hand it over to the Lord and say, Lord, take my soul. Save me. Keep me. Bring me home one day to glory. And we just hand it over to the Lord. Have you done that? If you have never given your soul to the care and keeping of the Lord, how are you going to face all these things? There are so many things that you cannot do, but praise God, by faith in Jesus, he will save because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and I truly thank you for joining with us on the program today. And we certainly need another Reformation in Canada. So keep listening. And each week at this time on this station, we'll be here to bring the message of the gospel. We need every listener not only to be built up in the gospel, but to stand with us and to go forth with the gospel. 
We can send you gospel leaflets, which you can distribute to your friends and family. You can be a missionary in your own community. Now, for all the information about our church ministry and our radio broadcast, go to ltbs.ca. You will even there be able to download copies of these leaflets. You can print them out, copy them, distribute them, or if you'd like us to send you hard copies in the mail, just send me an email. This is Pastor Ian Golliher at ltbsradio at gmail.com. That's my email, ltbsradio at gmail.com, or call me at 604-897-2040. Our heart's desire is to get the gospel across this nation. Souls are perishing. The gospel of our Lord Jesus is still the power of God unto salvation. And I trust that you will stand with us, that you will support us, that you will be an encourager as week by week, Sundays and Monday to Friday in some areas, we let the Bible speak. Thank you for being a part of the program today. Join us again on this station at this time next week.